Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. You take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 18, Exodus chapter 18. If you're new here, I'm Pastor Matt. I would love to meet you next time our paths cross, uh, next time we're able to have a conversation. But again, thank you for being with us today. I want to begin today with several questions uh, that I have received that have come in, various questions. Uh, So I want to read three of them that are near and dear to my heart that I think set up this message quite well. The first question that's come in is, why did God allow this global pandemic? Why did God allow it? Number two, if God is so loving, why is he allowing good people to suffer and die from coronavirus? I think that's a good question. It's a heartfelt question. Number three, if God is so fair, why is he allowing so many good business owners and employees to lose their jobs or even their life savings as a result of this financial crisis? Before we get into the content of the message, I think it would be good for us just to to sit in those questions for a moment and to feel the pain behind every one of those questions. Most of us have asked them, and there are families in our church right now, even some of you who are asking them in a very specific way because of very specific pain. This past week, we had a long-time couple, members of our church. They had moved to Florida and had been put into an assisted living uh, situation, but they were still relatively healthy. They had been married 67 years, and in the assisted living facility, they contracted COVID-19. Ten years. Days later, they both died this past weekend. After 67 years, as the family described it to me, and we're going to be holding their funeral here this week, the family said that they wheeled him down to her room so he could tell her goodbye. And within a day, a day and a half, they both had passed on to heaven. And so this grief and these questions are are very, very real in such a time as this. The answer to the questions are multifaceted. I could say it this way, it's because God is multifaceted, but I prefer to say that God is infinitely faceted. Uh, He's more than multifaceted, but I did write on my blog about this back in November before I really knew even anything about a pandemic or ever even thought that we would be quarantined. But this is my blog. You can find it at the bottom of the website, all the way at the bottom. It says Pastor's Blog. BibleCenterChurch.com. You can also find it on the app under media, uh, but I've written there about why many things in answer to the questions I read a moment ago. But the last thing I want to do tonight is boldly declare some earthy, pithy, simplistic explanation for why God does what he does. I don't want to stand here and pretend like I'm the expert on God because I'm not. He is God and we are not. However, we can take comfort knowing that God has a way of working things out for good in the lives of his children. God has a way of working the bad for good. Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Even though I may not be the center of why God is doing what he's doing, It's no less true that God cares about me 
and that God wants to use this pandemic and this financial crisis in my life. And so I want to go ahead at the very beginning of the message, give you the big idea. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's also in the app. Uh, There, your your electronic bulletin. But here's the main idea, simply this. Crisis is a good time for contemplation. Crisis is a good time for contemplation. What do we mean by that? Well, you could say it this way. We often hear God's voice the clearest in a crisis. The strongest Christians are forged in a crisis. If I were in a a secular setting, I might say it this way. The world's greatest leaders are born in crisis. Though we don't completely understand God's mind, we can contemplate on how he wants to use this crisis for good. Why is it so important that we believe that? Why is it so important that we know that, that we understand that, that we sink our teeth into that? Why is it so important that it sink into our heart? Well, Winston Churchill said it best, and so I'm going to let him speak. He, he said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Another way to say it is this. We as Christians often learn the most about God in the valleys. Now, I wish it was true that we learn the most about God on the mountaintop, but that's very seldom true in my life, and it's probably very seldom true in your life. But we learn more about God in the storms, in the darkness. And so that's something we all have in common. I was going through the fa- my favorite restaurant, Chick-fil-A, this morning, and the guy who was taking my order, we were talking a little bit, and and so uh, he knows I'm a pastor now, and we, we continue to talk a little bit more. And, and he said, you know, there's one thing this pandemic has done. He said, it's just leveled the ground for everybody. All ground is level. And in many ways, that's so true. So tonight, if you're a middle school student, what I'm going to say applies to you. Tonight, if you're a high school student, if you're a college student, if you're a single mom, if you're a father of six, If you've been married for years or you've been single for years, if you're a young adult, if you're a middle-aged adult, if you're a senior saint, something I believe that God says in this passage is going to apply to you. And so what I want to do in the next few minutes is I want to give you five helpful questions for a crisis. Five questions for a crisis. What can you be asking yourself? What can I be asking myself? Here they are. Number one, I want to encourage you this week to ask yourself this question, what glaring need in my community is God inviting me to meet? What glaring need is God inviting me to meet? Our passage is Exodus 18, and so we're going to pick up, Pastor Matt left off last week in chapter 17, and so we're going to jump to chapter 18, verse 13. Notice what it says. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, 
what you are doing is not good. Now, a little backstory here when we, as we jump in. The backstory is the people of Israel had been in Egypt for about 400 years, a little more than 400 years. The people of, Egypt, of Israel uh, were brought out of Egypt, led by Moses. They came down, most likely the Gulf of Suez. Uh, they probably crossed the Red Sea somewhere around the Gulf of Aqaba. And they passed into the wilderness, the area of where we believe Mount Sinai was, northwestern uh, Saudi Arabia. And even though the people of Israel had been saved, delivered, they continually complained. But even though they continually complained, God continually provided for their needs. He saved them from an enemy attack. He gave them manna and quail. And now he's led them to the base of Mount Sinai. Now, back in Exodus chapter 4, Moses and his wife have a little squabble, all right? It's over the circumcision of their son. If you're going to fight over anything, you might as well fight over the circumcision of your son. And so most scholars believe that in Exodus chapter 4, Moses sent his wife back home to live with her father. It may have not have been as a result of the squabble. It may have just been because he was worried about her safety. So most scholars don't believe that she was with Moses and his sons were probably not with him when they left Egypt and passed through the Red Sea. But there's a reunion in Exodus 18. So now that they've crossed over the Red Sea and they're now in the area near where Jethro lives, there's a reunion. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, brings Moses' wife and his grandchildren, Moses' children, out to meet him. They celebrate, they have a big meal, and they offer thanks to the Lord. But here in this passage, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, is concerned for Moses. Now, if he's like my father-in-law, I know my father-in-law loves me. He's a member of this church, one of the best men you'll ever meet. I know he loves me greatly, right? But I also know probably more he loves his daughter greatly. And so there's probably a concern here where he knows he's got to take care of Moses because Moses has to care for and needs to care for his daughter and so he says to Moses in verse 18, what you're doing is not good. That's why I'm, I want to encourage us tonight that when often God uses a glaring need, a burden for a glaring need, to show us what he wants us to do next. You know, I've noticed this in the church that often when someone continually has a burden for a specific issue, Man, pastor, why can't we just do this? Why can't we serve this group of people? Why can't we have this ministry over and over and over again? Often, it's because God has put it on their heart. And so I have a rule of threes. If somebody asks me about a same ministry three times, then what I usually say after the third time is I say, why don't you start it? And so some of you are at two, waiting really, really close to go to number three. But that's how the Lord works, right? Like often, that's the way it is. God burdens us with something, and that's the direction we need to know what we're supposed to do. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, Jesus said, or the Bible says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Let's stop there for just a moment. The problem is not in the harvest. 
It's not. People will, we sometimes are tempted to think, well, man, the world is so bad and people aren't turning to Jesus. Uh, The world is just, no, Jesus said the problem is not the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but what's the problem? The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers out into his harvest. So you can see Moses, you can see Moses talking with his father-in-law and his father-in-law getting burdened for Moses and asking Moses about his need, asking Moses about himself. And so I want to ask you tonight, what glaring need is God calling you to meet? This week I had lunch with a friend and he was telling me about the burden that he has for a discipleship group. And he thinks he knows a a part of our valley, a part of our region where we don't have a lot of reach yet. And and there's there's some people there that he knows and wants to connect with them and invite them into his discipleship group. And just look into his eyes. You can see his passion for this part of the Kanawha Valley. And and I believe the Lord's going to use him there. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, our TV spot was about to run out. And uh, it's not in the budget. We purposely didn't put it in the budget because we don't plan to be on TV forever. And, and someone felt led of the Lord. We didn't put the word out. We didn't ask anybody. We just prayed, God, show us if you want us to stay on TV. And this family said, hey, could we, could we help with the TV? How are we paying for the TV? And so they paid for it through August. Like that's, that's a burden that God put on their heart. And they responded to the need. The Children's Home Society has been on my heart lately. It's been on Sarah's heart as we're working through the adoption. We've been there several, multiple times, and we've worked with Julia Kessler, and now that we're starting to get accustomed to the people there and their mission, we've since learned that there are 7,265 kids right now in foster care in the state of West Virginia. I can't get that off my mind. I know our church is doing something, but what could I personally do more? What could our family do? do more. That's how the Lord works. And so during this crisis, ask yourself, what glaring need in my community is God inviting me to meet? Number two, where have I not been taking care of myself and what can I do to change it? Where have I not been taking care of myself and what can I do to change it? Now remember, we're talking about Times of crisis, times of pandemic, times of transition. So all throughout the book of Exodus, we're seeing the people of God go through times of uncertainty, and it teaches us, like if there is a book of the Bible that teaches us about our current time of uncertainty, I believe it's the book of Exodus. And so this one really stood out to me. Notice verse 18. In verse 18, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is still speaking, and he says, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Now, why couldn't Moses handle it alone? Well, Exodus earlier tells us that there were 600,000 people, excuse me, 600,000 men coming out of Israel plus women and children. That means there could have been upwards of 2 million people or more coming out that Moses is leading. They are wearing him out. The work is too heavy. You can't handle it alone. So again, Jethro, being a good father-in-law, you can just see as he asks Moses, Moses, why are you not taking care of yourself? You're going to drive yourself in the ground. It's time to make a change. And so I would encourage you to ask yourself tonight, ask it now, 
Ask it during the time of invitation. Where have I not been taking care of myself and what can I do to change it? Psalm 127 really stuck out to me this week studying for this message. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Think about that in your context. Think about that in terms of the people you lead. Yes, God invites us to work, and God invites us to labor, but he's ultimately the one who builds the house. I can also think about 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, at the beginning of this message, I told you that I was going to get transparent about some areas that the Lord has been working in my heart. And this is one of them, right? This is one of them. Things have gone unbelievably good in the church, unbelievably well in our family, but still, we're in a pandemic. We're in a global crisis. And so I've just noticed over the last few months that there's certain things that have just kind of started to slip, even in me taking care of myself. And I tell you what, when you're quarantined, if I don't know if you have this problem, but the brownies at the store tend to holler louder off the shelves during times of quarantine. And if I'm home studying, they holler at me. My family doesn't believe it, but they do. They holler from my shelves. And so the Lord has really spoken to me about how can I better take care of myself going in the rest of this summer? What can I do in the mornings? What kind of routines can I have? One thing that the pandemic has taught me lately is the importance of Sabbath. I have never said this because you don't expect this. Before the Sabbath, I don't think that there was a day other than vacation, or excuse me, before the quarantine, I don't think there was a day other than vacation in the four and a half years that I'd been here that I ever took a full day off. That's not you all. That's me. You don't expect that of me. You're so gracious. You give me so much time. It's me. If I have a day off, I feel like I need to be doing something, like I need to be working. And so for for. Over four years, almost four and a half years, I am, I am just, I don't want a day off. I don't want to take a day off. This quarantine has forced it upon me, and I never want to go back. And so now, about every week, I get about a day and a half off, and I love it. I turn my phone off. I play Minecraft. I go kayaking. I go fishing. I'd forgotten how to fish. Forgotten how to bait a hook. But I'm learning again. And that's what God has taught me. So I would encourage you to ask yourself this question in the quarantine. Where have I not been taking care of myself and what can I do to change it? That's not the primary purpose. God allowed coronavirus to hit, but could it be his gift to you? I pray so. Number three, ask yourself this question. What can I change about my daily schedule to spend time in God's word and prayer? What can I change about my daily schedule to spend time in God's word and prayer? Notice what Moses, his exchange with Jethro, verse 19. He says, listen now to me and I will give you some advice. When your father-in-law says that, you listen, right? Listen now and I'm gonna give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must first be the people's 
representative before God and bring their disputes to him. He's talking about prayer. You've got to continually bring your, their disputes to me in prayer. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. So the question I'm encouraging you to ask yourself is what can I change about my daily schedule to spend time in God's word and prayer? As the spiritual leader of God's people, Moses was expected to be spending time in God's word and prayer. Now, God's word was different then than it is now. It hadn't been formally written out and canonized in 66 books, but there was enough oral tradition, and most scholars believe there was much written out from God as he had revealed himself to his people. Moses compiled much of that. But you can just picture Jethro asking Moses, Moses, how much time? each day, or even at all, do you spend time each day in God's word and prayer? I'll ask you the same question that he asked Moses. Not how much time, but do you spend time each day in God's word and in prayer? It's amazing how much time we can spend on other things, but God invites us to at least spend some time receiving from his grace. Ephesians 4.23 says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Early in this message, I had talked about contemplation, how that crisis is a great time for contemplation. And as Christians, sometimes we may be scared of that word. Is that a, is that a brainy word? What does it mean to, to contemplate? It's very, very simple. The word contemplate comes from two words, con, which means with, and temple. It literally means when you contemplate on God, it means to be with God in his temple. And so I'll ask you, not just how long has it been since you read the Bible and checked the box, but how long has it been since you just spent some time listening and trying to receive and drink in from God. That is the beauty. That is the beauty of spending time with the Lord. I was talking to a friend this week, and he was describing how that Lord has been speaking to him about his devotions just being a checklist. He was talking about how that through discipleship group, the Lord is just bringing a a number of sinful attitudes to the surface, and the Lord is, is skimming those off the top and doing a refining work in his heart. And he was just sharing, getting very transparent with me in those things. That's what, it's, that's what happens when we spend time with God. Prior to the pandemic, my prayer life was sporadic. I prayed, but I prayed mostly professional prayers. I pray for our church, pray for our people. But man, there was a podcast that went around, uh, circulated among our elders, and, and I listened to that podcast about the importance of just spending time with God, and it wrecked their hearts, and it's wrecked my heart. And, and so now I've found a new freedom. In the mornings, I try to go for a walk. You may not have time to do that. I, I missed yesterday morning, and so I went yesterday evening, and it was like 200 degrees outside. I don't plan to do that very often. But just going for a walk and spending time in prayer with my eyes open to God on a walk. Whatever works for you, let me encourage you, schedule time to spend in God's word and prayer. Number four, ask yourself this question. 
Who can I invite or train to help me carry the load? Who can I invite or train to help me carry the load? When I get to heaven, I want to meet Jethro. He's so practical. Notice what he says, starting in verse 21. He says, Moses, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves, that will make your load lighter. You can see his goal is to make his load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Jethro taught Moses the art of delegation. He counseled Moses to create a cabinet of several hundred, if not several thousand leaders to to act as official personnel in his cabinet. Jethro's practical wisdom has been used as an example of organizational leadership for centuries. The best leaders aren't those who do everything. But the best leaders are those who realize they can't do everything and they bring people around them who are better than they are and and actually are more competent in specific areas than they are. Moses needed desperately to learn this lesson. I was reading this week the life of J. Paul Getty. At one time was the world's richest man. And I was reading the story of how he got his start. I found it fascinating. He, he had, as he was getting started, he owned a small piece of property that was 72 feet square in Seal Beach Oil, or Seal Beach, California. And so he wanted to put an oil field on that 72 square foot piece of land. His competitors laughed at him and said it was impossible. Oil derricks required more space than 72 feet. But so he went to his workers, he went to his team, and he asked his team if there was a way, and so they spent a few hours brainstorming, and they came up with a new design for an oil derrick that he could fit on the plot of land. And so they thought the problem was solved, until they realized that they had to get the oil derrick to the land, and they only had a four-foot right-of-way, and none of the other surrounding owners would let them step foot on their property. So now they have another dilemma. So that he had his workers, his team, get together, and they spent a few more hours devising a plan, and this was their plan. They would build a miniature railroad track along the four-foot-wide right-of-way to carry their miniature oil derrick to their 72-foot square plot of ground. And as they're carrying the oil derrick on the little railroad, it was just feet above. Oh, it hung well over four feet, but it didn't touch the other... the other owner's property. Years later, somebody asked a loyal worker, a faithful employee, a faithful teammate, a faithful colleague of Getty, why did you choose to stay with Getty? At the beginning, he could not pay you what others could pay you. He said at the beginning, he made you pay for your own rooms when other companies provided you with a furnished room. Why did you stay? And he said this, because everybody else Everybody else told me to come to them for advice, but Getty would come to us for advice. 
He knew the power of team. He knew the power of others. That was the philosophy of Jethro. Jethro is telling Moses, Moses, you're, it's really egotistical for you to think that you can do this all on your own. I know you look like a martyr, and I know that you look like you're doing such good work. But actually, Moses, the best leaders share the load. And so back to our original question, I want to encourage you to ask yourself and ask the Lord to show you, how can I invite or train others to help me carry the load? I see a number of parents in the room tonight. So I would encourage you parents to ask your children or tell your children where you need them to help you. Teach your children young that you are not the maid. You're not. They say, well, I want my kids to like me. Oh, don't worry about it. They'll get over it. They'll get over it. It really will be okay. Let me encourage you to reach out to friends. Reach out to people when you have a need. At where you work, be a team player. Be a team maker. We're trying to incorporate this philosophy even here in the church. This past year, about a year and a half ago, the elders gave the chairman of our deacons and our deacon board the, the freedom to restructure our deacon board because we realized that our deacon board actually looked just like another elder board. And, and scripturally, deacons were called to be lead servants in specific areas in the church. And so they, over the last year and a half, the deacons have been working. It's not entirely done yet, but you're going to see more than likely a, 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 a sermon on this in the spring and possibly a proposal for a constitutional change. Because instead of having a room full of deacons who just make decisions, what we're trying to do is to get our deacons to step out of the boardroom and to lead our big congregation in service. So this past year, our deacons have divided into groups. We have deacons of, of widow ministry, and we have deacons of finance, and deacons over Bible Center School that serve the school, and welcome team deacons, and security deacons, and kids deacons, and middle school deacons, and high school deacons, and, and deacons that are ushers, and, and deacons that serve in facilities. This next year, we're adding a, a maker center deacon and a city ministries deacon so that our deacons can, can lead and help our congregation share the load of ministry. I'm really, really excited about it. We got the idea from Jethro. Can I invite or train others to help me carry the load? Number five, and lastly, let me encourage you to ask yourself this question. To whom should I be listening that I haven't been willing to listen so far? To whom should I be willing to listen that I haven't been willing to listen so far? Notice as this chapter concludes. In verse 24, it says, Moses listened to his father-in-law and he did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way and Jethro returned to his own country. I want to encourage you to ask yourself, to whom should you be listening, but you're not? One of the things about the pandemic that I've noticed is the dehumanization. It, it, 
when you're, usually we're around each other at least once a week. Many of us are around each other multiple times a week. But when we're not around each other multiple times a week or at least once a week, I think over the last three and four months, we've become dehumanized. It's been very, very easy to just say what we want to say through a few keystrokes or a few strokes on the phone without ever thinking about what we're saying and how it can actually hurt real people. So I would encourage you, whatever position you take on whatever issue, let me encourage you to find somebody who disagrees with you and engage in civil discourse. To engage in a way where you listen and hopefully they will let you, they will listen to you. Masks or no masks? Masks or no masks? You, you, you You say that in a crowd, instantly it polarizes the crowd. If you're a mask person, Spend some time this week. Ask somebody, why are you a no-mask person? Don't judge. Don't throw rocks. Just ask. You might be surprised. If you're a no-mask person, ask a mask person. Why are you a mask person? If you're a person who believes that we're not doing enough for COVID-19 regulation and that the governor is way behind and we should be doing more, instead of calling people names who disagree with you on social media, find somebody and just ask or put a post on social media and just say, hey, I'm just curious, why would someone believe X, Y, Z? If you're someone who votes for a specific president, you know somebody votes, plans to vote for a different president, I would encourage you just to ask them why. Just listen. You don't have to agree, but listen If you're someone who believes that you should change the names of a certain statue, ask somebody who doesn't believe that you should change the name of the statue. Just why? If you're somebody who doesn't, ask somebody who thinks you should. If you're someone who believes there is such a thing as white privilege, ask somebody who says there's not. And if you're somebody who's not, ask somebody who says there is. If you're someone who has a certain belief about doctrine or preference, Spend time this week and just ask another person why. Proverbs 8.13 says, to answer before listening. That is folly and shame. Think about what we've done on social media. What we've done to somebody else who's created in the image of God. God says that's folly and shame. Then over in We find in James chapter one and verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Ask yourself this week, to whom should I be listening that I haven't been willing to listen to so far? Why should you do these things? Why should you ask these questions? Well, the reputation of the church, that's capital C church, Jesus' church, worldwide, global church, the reputation of the church is at stake. But also the reputation of the gospel is at stake. In Ephesians chapter four, God says even the way the church is, excuse me, Ephesians chapter four, yeah. Even the way the church is put together is a picture of the gospel. And so I would encourage you to do everything in your power preserve the unity of the church. 
preserve the unity of your friendships and of your family. Ask yourselves these five questions. What glaring need in my community is God inviting me to meet? Where have I not been taking care of myself? And what can I do to change it? What can I change about my daily schedule to spend more time in God's word and prayer? Who can I invite or train to help me carry the load? And to whom should I be listening that I haven't been willing to listen so far? May God give us the grace to ask these five questions in in crisis. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters. And God, if there's ever been a time when we've needed the advice of Jethro, it is today. Yet, even though it's been some almost 3,500 years, it's so applicable. I pray that you would help us to live it for the glory of Christ, for the unity of the church. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to take just a second now as the band prepares to sing one last song, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. At the end of all of our services now, we're giving you the opportunity to pray, to give, to sing. By praying right now, of course, we're going to ask you to stay in your seat. There'll come a day when we'll feel a little more free to move about the auditorium. And so we're actually going to open it up to where if folks want to come forward and pray, if folks want to go back to a prayer room, they can do that. As far as giving is concerned, there'll be a day where we'll we'll actually sing one last song and we'll give people the opportunity if they wanna go back and give in the offering plate as an offering basket, if they want to just stay in their seat and sing, that's okay too. I'd love to get to the day we could have communion at the end of every one of our services. That's what we're working towards. It'll look differently, no doubt. We'll have to figure out how we can do it safely. But until that day, today we can at least pray, we can give and we can sing. And so as the band sings, I would encourage you just to let this song wash over your soul and spend time in prayer, maybe even asking yourself these five questions. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.